Hello, this is the African Tech Roundup episode 12. Yes, indeedy. This episode marks three incredible months of awesomeness for us. Now, every Monday, we round up the week's most important technology, digital, and innovation news from across the African continent. My name's Andile Masugu, broadcaster and entrepreneur, and co-hosting the show, as always, is tech entrepreneur and executive editor of iAfrican.com, my good friend, Defo Mohapi. How you doing, bruh? I'm good. It's good that we had three months now. Dude, it's uh, it's been enjoyable doing this. Uh, who knew we'd be having such fun? And um, I suppose we have to thank our listeners who make this all worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've kept us on I- Apple iTunes new and noteworthy for like three months from the second episode. A quick hat tip to all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in. To the regulars, you know we love you. And if you're listening in for the first time, you know we've got special love for you. Thank you so much for joining us. Head on to African Tech Roundup to catch up on our past episodes. Uh, not only that, we're excited uh, about our weekly newsletter that you can now sign up for starting this very week. You should have already received it if you signed up last week. Uh, just head up to africantechroundup.com and you should see a pop-up that asks you to sign up and you'll receive all the news that matter every week. And also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at African Roundup. And uh, do tell us what you think of the show and anything else you have on your mind. Uh, in our discussion segment, though, this week, um, we'll be talking... All things internet neutrality and privacy. We'll be asking whether companies like South Africa's Telcom and possibly Facebook are leading an assault on our freedom. We'll, as you say, talk about net neutrality, but also touch on fragmentation, which we'll explain a little bit later. But before we get to the news this week, we'd like to promote our sister podcast in our sponsor feature, African Tech Conversations. Many of you are already listening in. The African Tech Conversations series features relaxed, in-depth chats with leading entrepreneurs, innovators, and thought leaders who are intimately involved in Africa's tech scene. The show is produced by the same dedicated team that brings you the African Tech Roundup every Monday. And so far, we've had enlightening conversations with people like MTN Group CEO Mtetonyati, Quirk Africa MD Justin Spratt, and more recently, Oniko Group founder and MD Oresti Patricios. For more, check out the hashtag ATRUC on Twitter, or simply visit africantechroundup.com to subscribe. Some weeks ago, Nigerian venture capital fund Spark announced it would be dropping a handful of companies from its investment portfolio for being quote-unquote dead businesses. While a week or so before that, 88 miles per hour, another African venture capitalist firm announced it wouldn't be investing in any more startups on the continent. Now, in episode 10, we debated whether African VCs actually know what they're doing when it comes to recruiting prospects and besides throwing money at them, providing a structured pathway to success. This week's listener comment comes from an accomplished South African businesswoman who's recently been appointed to head up a South African organization determined to address the knowledge gap that exists in the world of startups and venture capital. Here's more on that initiative. My name is Matsu Nidisa, the newly appointed Managing Director of Simodisa Startup. Simodisa is an industry association that was established in 2013 to catalyze, amplify, and advocate for the success of entrepreneurs in South Africa and beyond. It's an organization that is led by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs because in our team we have local entrepreneurs that have scaled up globally, venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurship activists. We aim to catalyze the creation of sustainable jobs, well-run businesses in a conducive environment for small businesses to thrive. What sets Imodisa apart amongst other catalysts in the ecosystem is that we are on a mission to create a venture capital fund that is matched by the government and the private sector. As you may know, 
that venture capital is an asset class which invests in risk capital into small businesses. There are four stages to venture capital that include seed capital, startup capital, development, and growth capital. It's still a minute sector in the South African funding ecosystem, but there are global good examples and best practices of how the venture capital industry can fuel small businesses to scale up and go global. The role of venture capital is to provide general business strategy advice, taking it from vast business experience and wisdom. Venture capital also develops funding plans, financing plans that are more flexible than in the traditional sense. They will assist a business in refining its business plan and also offer market advice and strategy because the firm will often be national international market savvy. We need to seed ideas that will commercialize and scale up globally. Simodisa looks forward to playing an active role in this regard. Thank you. Now remember, if you'd like your audio comments included in a future episode of the African Tech Roundup, drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag ATRUcomment, and our team will make contact with you so you can be part of the show. Now it's news time. We'll start with some good news for you if, one, you're living in South Africa, two, you're trading Bitcoin on the BitX platform, and three, you have their app on your Android or iPhone. All three of you can buy airtime or data bundles with Bitcoin. Yeah, it's good for Bitcoin. People with Bitcoins, you can buy airtime and all that. But, uh, I mean, not to labor on this, but my question is always, uh, how many people who need airtime actually have Bitcoin? Look, I, I, this is tongue-in-cheek. We have no idea what numbers uh, platforms like BitX um, are sporting at the moment. It's just hard to think. It's just hard to imagine that it's more than at least a handful. I'm just trying to think somebody in Unu or Dwendwe or somewhere in Matatiele, they're trying to buy airtime and they have Bitcoin. Also, it's not happening immediately. They say it's going to be happening in the coming weeks, of course, and they plan to roll it out in South Africa first and then later in some of the other countries that they're in. Well, good news, I guess. I mean, uh, go Bitcoin. To more serious news now. Now, Facebook finally making official their intent to open an Africa office. They also announced that Nunun Chingila, the chairper- current chairperson of uh, Ogilvy and Matha South Africa, will be heading up the Facebook Africa office. This is good news coming from them. Certainly, Nunu, someone we would love to have on African Tech Conversations, uh, a mind I'd love to pick uh, on many a matter. That said, she only begins at Facebook in September? She only starts being Facebook head in uh, September, but this is uh, shows Facebook's uh, commitment to the continent, given the news last Last week of Twitter saying they're hiring for their Africa office, but you have to go to London. Some of what we're hearing from key executives in, in Facebook certainly points to a commitment on their part to take Africa seriously, uh, to not treat the entire continent like one homogenous whole. And um, of course, they've been doing this for a while. A big shout out to a good friend of mine, uh, Musa Kalenga, who I know is an executive in the new setup. We've been trying to chat with him too, but of course, uh, all things have been on, on lockdown up until Facebook has been ready. But I'm sure in good time, we'll be hearing more about their plans and how they plan to to roll out into the continent uh, starting here in South Africa. Oh no, they're definitely serious about the continent. I mean, one example is the internet.org uh, project which they rolled out to South Africa recently. So they have feet on the ground on the continent in almost every country that they're trying to roll out. Of. It'll be interesting to see how Facebook's strategy shapes up given how a great portion of their target market here on the continent is, is mobile only. Clear on the strategy and have studied the continent quite well given that most most of they've launched Facebook Lite, as we mentioned a few weeks back, which is a lighter version of the Facebook app for people who are data conscious and have phones that are not that smart. Well, we'll certainly be keeping a close eye on developments in that area. 
Now for some news on a very high-profile appointment. Ashish J. Tucker, the Ugandan serial entrepreneur, has been appointed chair of the UN Foundation's Global Entrepreneurs Council. Yeah, I mean, Ashish, uh, as you say, is from Uganda, and he made his money in the tech sector, in the ICT sector in Uganda. And he's also gone on over the past couple of months and year to start what's called Mara Mentor and the Mara Foundation, where he's put together a group of experienced entrepreneurs who dedicate their time mentoring younger and up-and-coming entrepreneurs across the continent. Well, Tucker founded his first business in 1996 at the age of 15 with a $5,000 loan. Incredible how far he's come. Yeah, and now I mean, his business is, spans different industries and not only tech. And just in case you're wondering what the UN Foundation's Global Entrepreneurs Council is actually about, it was established in 2011, designed to be a strategic advisory board of high-profile entrepreneurs, of people under the age of 45. And, and these are people who've obviously made a commitment to helping find innovative solutions to global challenges. And as chair of this organization, Tucker will be in a great position to provide thought leadership on key global issues, certainly to some of the most influential politicians of our time. Yeah, I mean, he'll be the voice of uh, the African youth, African up-and-coming business people. And he, of course, is taking over the role from Elizabeth Gore, the entrepreneur-in-residence at Dell. So, definitely big shoes to fill. Our final story this week involves Telcom, who are being accused of using a man-in-the-middle attack to change your websites. Yeah, it's quite worrying and interesting that uh, what Telcom have done, I mean, Robert McLean picked this up first, where he demonstrates how Telcom intercepts a, traffic, a request to a website and changes it and puts their ads or different content besides what the website serves. Man-in-the-middle attacks are synonymous with hackers, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, these are attacks that people would use to intercept your login details to ins- without you knowing that they did. So when you log into a site and provide your authentication details, they act as literally the machine or the man in the middle, grab those authentication details and pass on your request to the website you wanted to go to without you even knowing that they were there in the first place. But Telcom doesn't seem to be harboring any ill intent. Some of the content that they're, you know, inserting seems to be quite helpful. That's not the problem. The problem here is one, the issue of privacy, which we'll discuss shortly, but also the issue of what else can they use this for? Why are they intercepting people's uh, websites and changing them? Look, I mean, by helpful, I'm saying, I mean, how insidious is Telcom putting up a data uh, usage monitor on, you know, in your in your user experience? Surely that's not entirely a bad thing. The the issue is the process of how they're going about doing it, which is intercepting and inserting their content onto other people's uh, websites. So literally serving you a website's content altered with their data usage monitor instead of just serving you the website content as it is. And Robert McLean actually speaks in his article about the the potential exposure to risk in terms of uh, security risk. Well, there are many risks I can think of, but again, the other thing is privacy. What data are they collecting? How are they intercepting it? Because they're literally intercepting your query to a specific website taking it, altering the feedback from the website and serving you that from their servers. So the question becomes what data are they collecting from you and what information are they taking from you? Security risks as well is if you're visiting a site like a banking site, etc., are they p- taking your login detail and then passing them onto the banking website and then receiving the query back, inserting their data usage monitor and serving you the altered content? So there are a lot of steps in the process that are security risks. And I suppose there's also the issue of trust. Do consumers trust a company like Telcom with that data? And the other part is, I mean, it brings us in a way to the net neutrality debate as well. Telcom is an internet service provider and 
could they use similar tactics to prevent certain content being served? Could they abuse their position to grab data about the services you access so that they can monitor what to block, what traffic to shape, etc.? Let me don a black hat for a moment and just imagine um, I was I had this power over a telecom. I might use these powers to prevent my competitors from sharing certain information with my clients. You could prevent if you start offering content services. Let's say you telecom decides to offer online movie service. Once they see which online movie services are popular, they could serve that movie services portal or website with their movie service add on it by altering that content the way they do with their data usage monitor. Then there's a political side to this debate uh, with Telcom being a parastatal, the South African government owning a majority shareholding of it. Uh, there's an issue. Definitely. I mean, this opens them up to a lot of criticism in terms of the way they went about it. There are different ways of showing a data usage monitor. You could show your customers in a totally different window. But intercepting and using a man-in-the-middle attack sounds a bit amateurish from a decision-making point of view. Whoever authorized that they should go about displaying their data usage monitoring information like that. They're basically one step away potentially from meddling with political opponents of the ruling party from communicating the way they should. The way I see it, it's a scandal in the making. It's a huge scandal in the making. I'm just surprised that mainstream media hasn't picked it up yet. But the other question is what stops an average telecom employee who's got access to this system or the system that shows like developing the system from intercepting or building a script or a program that intercepts people's banking details and login details and stores them somewhere. That speaks to the low levels of trust I think the average telecom client might have in in that business and the idea that they have the power to do this probably leaves a lot of people worried. I'd be worried if I was a telecom client at the moment using their ADSL or whatever internet connectivity they offer. Going about it like this is is, quite worrying. It's comforting to know that uh, regular ADSL users don't seem to be affected by this. Uh, It's only when you're a client of their um, ISP service and that seems to be the issue Unfortunately, none of us are. We're, we're keen to hear your take on it. Look, if you've experienced any of this interference firsthand, if you're a client of Telcoms, if they're your service provider, please tell us how you've experienced it. If you saw something Telcom pop up in a website, you didn't expect it, please tell us about it, what your experience is. And of course, if uh, you're a web developer and you've picked up interference in a site you created, we want to hear from you. Last week, we covered Facebook's rollout of internet.org in South Africa, or at least the imminent rollout uh, in partnership with South Sea. Of course, there seems to be a disturbing trend towards, you know, big companies doing things that are borderline unethical in the space of uh, internet neutrality. There's the other issue is you, there's a... free Wi-Fi providers, which also do something similar where when you log into their free Wi-Fi services, they serve you certain types of content. So as all these fragmented internet service providers or service providers of the internet with Facebook's internet.org, free Wi-Fi service providers who are similar to internet.org, and now commercial ISPs like Telcom who are using questionable methods to insert certain dashboards onto other people's websites, you start asking yourself the question, who should be responsible for internet connectivity? Should we be starting to look at a non-commercial entity, perhaps the government, UN or somebody offering internet to the people? Well, I already see the South African government raising its hand trying to regulate the issue. I'm not sure that's the answer at all. Listen, tell us what you think. How worried are you about the potential loss of internet neutrality uh, we might experience here on the continent, either through man-in-the-middle tactics that uh, telecom is sporting or the rollout of uh, institutions like internet.org that potentially create walled gardens around certain information sites. Tell us what you think. Are you worried about this at all? Drop us a line on Twitter. We're at 
African Roundup. And of course, use the hashtag ATRU. And of course, if you want to be heard, you want your comment played out live to the rest of Africa, you know what to do. Use the hashtag ATRU comment and we'll be on it like white on rice. And so, Ornico Group founder and MD Oresti Patricios is well regarded in the sphere of African media and brand intelligence. He recently made headlines by overseeing Ornico's acquisition of the media monitoring and social analytics startup, Usewear, founded by Mike Ronsky. Now, here's a clip from a recent conversation we had with him. We were the disruptors. And the only reason why we were the disruptors in 1984 was that we didn't really know anything better. So, so what happened is that guys that were taking two weeks to deliver a, a competitive reel, which was a, competi- a TV ads of competitors, we used to take two to three hours to produce at, at, at half the cost. So, so we disrupted that industry, even though it was still a manual industry, there was no real tech kind of involved. But what we ultimately did is we produced something quicker, cheaper. It was one of the things, and higher quality, in fact, because uh, I came out of a wedding background, a wedding video background, um, our quality was of a much uh, a much more superior standard than our, than our competitors. Who's going to disrupt us now? That's one of the things that keeps us awake at night. At the end of the day, you know what is it? And I, and, and I think it could be tech and some young young company. So keep our ears and eyes opened. Yep, quite a guy. To listen to the full interview, head straight to africantechroundup.com and do yourself a favor by subscribing to our newsletters and updates so you don't miss a thing. Otherwise, that's it for now. Until next week, it's cheers from me, Andile Masugo. And Defo Mohapi. Take it easy. Cheers, guys.